remember back in the day when I was still a seminarian at St. Augustine Seminary in Scarborough, Ontario, one of the formators there, one of the priests, taught us that, like, look, if you want to learn how to think through various issues and problems facing the world today from a Catholic perspective, certainly read the Catechism of the Catholic Church, but something else which can be really helpful, kind of more to the point, is to focus on the works of, like, one theologian. Like, read all this stuff. Pick one theologian and read all of his stuff. And again, that's a really good way to learn how to think through various issues and problems facing the world today from a Catholic perspective. Now, looking back, I think this particular person had in mind people like St. Augustine, St. Bonaventure, you know, classical theologians within the Catholic Church. But for myself, I kind of focused on Bishop Robert Barron. So as you probably know, everything that Bishop Robert Barron does in terms of books and podcasts, either directly or through his Word of Fire apostolate, is absolutely amazing, right? So definitely highly recommended. But more to the point, one particular reflection he did many years ago really has kind of stayed with me to this day. And it's a reflection on the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, where the Lord invites us to be like the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So given all that, I thought it might be helpful to kind of focus on this particular reflection. Citing the various characteristics of salt talked about by Bishop Barron, while at the same time kind of further expounding upon the thing using various examples from this recent documentary I've seen on Mother Teresa called Mother Teresa, No Greater Love. So the first property of salt that Bishop Barron talks about is its preservative quality, right? And so the whole idea is that back in the day, at the time of Christ, there was no refrigeration, there were no freezers. As a result of which, if you want to preserve meat, you had to douse it basically in salt. And so given all that, the exhortation obviously is to emulate this preservative quality of salt, which entails, first of all, recognizing the good in the world, right? To recognize even the slightest manifestation of good in people and in the world. And on top of that, to preserve it, right? To do what we can to preserve this good and ideally even enhance it. And so the example that comes to mind from this documentary on St. Mother Teresa is this story, as told by Mark Wahlberg's brother, about how Mother Teresa once visited this prison in which he was incarcerated. So as a matter of background, the guy telling the story said that even though he was technically a cradle Catholic, all he knew growing up was fire and brimstone, right? So, you know, do good things or avoid the evil, lest God get upset or lest he send you to hell, that kind of thing. So even after he became an inmate in this particular prison, and the priest chaplain told him that Mother Teresa was going to pay the prison a visit, his response honestly was, great, who's Mother Teresa? But funny enough, when Mother Teresa eventually came, this guy was completely struck by her visit. Certainly he was struck by her presence because, you know, obviously she was a living saint, but also he was struck by what she focused on, right? Because she didn't focus so much on their wrongdoing or their sin, she focused rather on their dignity as children of her Father in Heaven. And so basically, the takeaway message was like, look, you are more than the number they give you. You are more than the crimes you've committed. You are a child of God. You are beloved. You are cherished. You are truly loved by your Father in Heaven. And the end result was that this guy was so struck by Mother Teresa's message that he basically ran to his priest chaplain and said, like, look, I want to know the God that she knows. I want to know the God that she follows. And hopefully you can see that the reason why he did this was certainly because he was struck by, again, her presence, but also the, the brilliance of her message. Because she didn't lead, again, with their sins, but instead she led with beauty. She led with love. She led with the dignity of the human person. And so again, the preservative quality of salt. Now, the second quality of salt that Bishop Barron talks about in his particular reflection is its destructive quality. And so, to further illustrate the point, Bishop Barron talks about the city of Carthage. 
And so in particular, what he says is that when the Roman Empire destroyed the city of Carthage, certainly it destroyed the city itself, but also in the aftermath of the victory, it salted the earth to make sure that nothing would grow there ever again. So again, the destructive quality of salt. To use another example, he talks about that passage in the gospel where Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail against us, right? And so he says that a lot of us look at that passage and we think that we're invited, therefore, to adopt a defensive posture. But if you look closely at the passage, it refers to the gates of hell as opposed to the gates of heaven. And so, therefore, it's an invitation to adopt an offensive posture as opposed to a defensive one. We're called to aggressively attack and put down the forces of evil in this world, mindful that eventually in time, by God's grace, our victory is assured. Again, the gates of hell will not prevail against you, which speaks again to the destructive quality of salt. Now, perhaps when you hear this, you might think, well, it's kind of a tricky thing to balance, right? So how can I balance the exhortation to emulate, again, the destructive quality of salt with the corresponding duty to preserve the good in the world, right? So should I be harsh or should I be gentle? Well, the answer is both. And so they use a really easy example. Think about the Lord himself, right? And so it's a common misunderstanding when people look at the person of Christ to think that he was like, gentle and meek in the classical sense all the time. Certainly there were times where he was gentle and, and quiet and humble in, in that particular sense. But at the same time, there were moments where he was really aggressive, right? And so when you look at his life as a whole, yeah, sometimes he was gentle and meek. Other times he was firm and strong. Sometimes he said a little bit. Sometimes he said a lot. Sometimes he said absolutely nothing. And even within the same relationship, he wasn't always necessarily the same. And so think, for example, about St. Peter, right? And so the Jesus who says to Peter in the aftermath of his sin, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, is the same Jesus who says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you have become a stumbling block for me. And the main takeaway message is that when it comes to his particular pastoral approach, Jesus is not overly rigid ever, but instead he exercises a flexibility in leadership, depending on the individual and depending on the particular circumstance. To use another example, think again of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. And so, as documented in the film, when she received the Nobel Peace Prize, she gave a really striking criticism against the scourge of abortion, as a result of which many politicians and dignitaries in the room were completely surprised and even shocked. But at the same time, and this is kind of more to the point, they didn't turn away. They gave her a platform. They gave her their full attention. Because they knew, all of them intuitively, without exception, that this was a person who was laying on the line every single day. This is a person who every single day was laying down her life to love the poorest of the poor, the least of our brothers and sisters. And because of that, she earned their respect. She earned their attention. She earned the right to preach to them the difficult truth, the truth of a conversion. And it just so happens that this particular pastoral approach on the part of Mother Teresa is echoed elsewhere in the movie, where someone basically says that Mother Teresa was simple without being simplistic. She spoke the truth without being judgmental, right? Which basically means that she learned how to speak truth with charity. She learned how to speak the truth of conversion, the truth which leads people to God with love, which again shows how we can emulate both the destructive and preservative qualities of salt at the same time. Okay, now the third and final quality of salt that Bishop Barron talks about might sound kind of obvious, but there's actually a lot to it. And basically the whole idea is that salt has the ability to make food taste good. So again, to use an example from the life of St. Mother Teresa, apparently back in the day, early on in her life as a nun, she made a vow to the Lord to never refuse him anything. 
So obviously in the context of the moral life, there are certain things which are obviously wrong or right. This is right, this is wrong, this is true, this is false. But again, on top of that, Mother Teresa made the solemn vow to the Lord Jesus Christ to never refuse him anything, to say yes to anything he might demand of her. Now, when you hear that, you might think to yourself, well, that sounds like a really nice kind of private devotion, but it's not really, because any decision to love God in big and small things is always a public thing. It always has public ramifications. And so in the same way that we often say that sin is never simply private, but always has public ramifications, so it goes with any decision to go the way of Christ, any decision to love God. It always has, again, public ramifications as opposed to being simply a private matter. And if you think about it, it ties into the particular theology of the Apostle Paul, right? And so think, for example, of Romans chapter 5. What Paul basically says, just to kind of paraphrase, is that as sin came into the world through the first Adam, so salvation has come into the world through the new Adam, who of course is Christ. And so given all that, the whole idea is that because of our intrinsic unity as a people of God, because of the sacrament of baptism, certainly Christ dwells within us. We have this mystical union with each other. But at the same time, we tap into the identity of the new Adam, who again is Christ himself. And so therefore, again, our sins are never simply private, but they always have public ramifications. And more to the point, the same principle applies when it comes to our good deeds. And so therefore, whenever we make even the slightest move back to the Lord Jesus Christ, and whenever we say yes in response to his inspirations, this always has massive implications, not just for ourselves, but in fact for the entire world. Okay, one final example, and I'll kind of end with this. And so in my years as a priest, many people often talk to me about issues of discernment and vocation. And in particular, one question which often comes up is, if I don't really follow my vocation given to me by the Lord, will God still love me? Will I still be able to go to heaven? Now, just to be clear, this question has nothing to do with the moral life, right? So it's not about, you know, is it okay for me to commit sin and so on and so forth. The question rather is, you know, if I'm committed to do good and avoid evil, can I ignore God's calling in terms of my particular vocation and still be loved by him and still go to heaven, if you will? Now, obviously, just to kind of kill the suspense, the answer, I think, is yes, theoretically speaking. But what's missing is this stuff we're talking about today. So again, just to go back to the example of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, apparently, even after she made that vow to, again, never refuse God anything, still, many years later, when she was heavily involved in the work of the missionaries of charity, the Lord would ask her some variation of, will you refuse me this? Will you refuse me that? Time and time again. Now, you might hear that and think to yourself, well, gosh, God, stop being a bully. Just leave the poor girl alone. Hasn't she given enough? But implied in his cause and questioning is apparently not. There's still more to give. There are still more opportunities to say yes. But that leads us to one of the overarching themes in the film, which is never explicitly articulated, but is present nonetheless. Namely, this idea of what is possible when you habitually and always say yes to the Lord in all things. So again, here's Mother Teresa, this small Albanian nun who makes this decision many years ago to serve the poorest of the poor, to satiate the thirst of Christ in this nothing region of Calcutta. And she ends up founding the Missionaries of Charity. She wins a Nobel Peace Prize. She becomes a saint, all because she has the courage and the wisdom and the persistence to always say yes to God in all things, to give him everything and to refuse him nothing. And as a result, she changes the world. And the thing I want to impress upon your friends is that the same opportunity is being presented to us right now in the present moment to make a firm resolution to say yes to God in all things 
and see if that doesn't completely change the world. Now, when you hear this, you might think to yourself, well, that's fine for Mother Teresa, but I'm just me. And so therefore, it is simply not possible for me to change the world through my habitual resolution to say yes to God in all things. And my response to that is, why not? Why not you? And may God bless you all.